Welcome to episode 123 of Monster Kid Radio. We're opening up the show with the song Outlaws. It's from the band The Blue Giant Zeta Puppies. It appears on their EP 40 Million Miles to Earth and appears on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. With their permission, my name is Derek M. Cook. I'm your writer, producer, and host of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And I'm excited this week because I've got a new guy on the show, somebody that you guys and gals have never heard from before. His name's Micah Bear. He's a longtime friend of mine. And it turns out he loves classic science fiction movies. So we brought along Robbie the Robot. We're going to talk about Forbidden Planet from 1956, starring Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. That Leslie Nelson. And we'll get to that here in a second. But first, let me tell you about our website over at monsterkidradio.net. Over there, you can find links to everything that we've got going on here at Monster Kid Radio Central. You've got links to our YouTube channel, our Flickr album, our Live 365 radio station, as well as our Facebook group, where you can get into conversations with other listeners of Monster Kid Radio between episodes. You can also find a link to our Amazon store and our Patreon page. I'll talk about our Patreon page at the end of the episode. Also at our website is our contact information. I'll go over that at the end as well, because at the end of the episode, I've got some feedback to go over, and I'm going to let you guys and gals know how you can send in feedback of your own. But that's going to happen after part one of our conversation with Micah Bear about Forbidden Planet. Now, this is a movie that he saw as a kid. He's going to tell us a little bit about his background watching these movies with his father, something his father did to him, which might have shaped him a little bit. But we're going to get into that right after this. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A port city in the Canadian province of Ontario and Canada's 10th largest city. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Oh, sorry, I thought you said Hamilton. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Enjoy movies like Carnival of Souls, The Mole People, Black Sunday, and The Tingler. Do you find yourself late at night reading magazines such as Film Max, Chiller Theater, or Monster Bash? Do you love vintage television programs like Sky King, Outer Limits, and The Time Tunnel? Do you find yourself surfing the net looking for the next monster movie festival or expo? Do you enjoy hearing anecdotes, cinematic details, and unusual insights into some of your favorite movies? If you answered yes to any of the above, you are encouraged to join your host, Vince Rotolo, as he examines some of the latest horror, sci-fi, and cult theatrical releases, new DVDs to add to your collection, 
and of course, the old classics, both good and bad. He even interviews people throughout B-Moviedom. So tune into B-MovieCast at bmoviecast.com. He may not be a monster, but he's certainly an iconic figure when it comes to genre cinema of yesteryear, like we talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. I'm talking about Robbie the Robot, but his first appearance was in the film Forbidden Planet from 1956. Forbidden Planet is a movie that I've seen off and on growing up, but never in one sit-down start-to-finish viewing, and when our guest brought it up to me in conversation, I knew I had to, one, talk about it on the show, and two, have him on the show to talk about it. I'd like to welcome Micah Bear to Monster Kid Radio. Hello, hello. Micah, how's it going, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Now, I've known Micah for years. We work together, but I've known Micah as a fan of all things fantasy. He's involved in the SCA. He's a gamer. He loves Lord of the Rings, things like that. But I had no idea that you had classic sci-fi in you. Absolutely. You grew up watching some of these movies, right? Yep. Uh, there was a uh, single-screen theater in the town where I grew up, and the owner, while not making any money, would pick up old sci-fi flicks and put them on there every Friday night and Saturday night for like two bucks. So my dad would take me out there when I was like between eight and 12. Wow. That's the best time to watch some of these things. I think (laughs) the best place. Absolutely. Also terrifying. Yeah. Well, somebody needs to get a time machine going because I want to go back in time to when I can go to a movie theater and watch these things for two bucks a pop. Exactly. No kidding. You remember some of the titles you saw? Um, well, other than forbidden planet, there was, the thing, I think we discussed the name of that one. It was much longer, the actual name of it. Like <laughs> the thing from outer space. The thing from another world. This is the spot where it was first seen. And these are the first people who saw the thing. How did it get here? Where did it come from? What is it? That thing's alive, sir. I saw it. I shot at it. I hit it. I know it. Nothing happened. It just kept coming at me, making a noise like a cat mewing. Captain, it was awful. You could have seen those hands and those eyes. Captain, you've got to do something about it. You've got Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? Baffling questions. Astounding questions that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world as different from us as one pole from the other. We can only communicate with it. See? What happened, Doctor? In the greenhouse I was working, I couldn't see. Yeah. Then, then a blast of cold air and I heard Olsen scream. Come here. Get in the corner. Now hold this in front of you. Stay by the light switch. 1.9. Needles hit the top. Yeah, <laughs> I'm giggling because you've told me a story about them, and and I want to get that on the show. I know we're talking about Forbidden Planet, but I tell you, gentlemen, science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly, man, as the dominant species of life on Earth, will be extinct within a year.
direction of the President of the United States, stay in your homes, I repeat, stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation because in one moment of history-making violence, nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. For born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous. There is no word to describe them. We may be witnesses to a biblical prophecy come true. And there shall be destruction and darkness come up in creation. And the beasts shall reign over the earth. Yes, the earth, the skies above and the seas below, infested by swarms of nightmare creatures, crueler, deadlier than the armored giants of prehistoric eras. Here is a wild, headlong flight into terror as the desert erupts with the grim battle for survival. Here is a fear-frenzied moment of suspense as mankind totters before a thing that multiplies faster than it can be killed. Here is a desperate plunge into the black depths of the earth, where human courage challenges the brute force, the slashing jaws, the poison fangs that guard the subterranean nest where the beast spawns its terrible progeny. To all units, to all units, condition red, drain 267 is the target area. Repeat, condition red, drain 267 is the target area. We can't take a chance. It might poison the whole city. What is it about them? Well, other than terrifying giant ants and a great soundtrack and a special effects team that needs to be, you know, shot at least from the point of view of a 10-year-old. Um, <laughs> my, my dad decided that the most important thing to do when terrifying your child is to continue terrifying your child, and so recorded the sound effect for the approaching ants and then played it around my ha- house while chasing me to the theme song of the ants destroying everyone for a good couple of years after having seen the movie. I'm tempted to drop the sound effect in right now. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Now, certainly you've gone back and watched some of these movies as an adult. Yes. And do you find yourself shaking your head like, man, this scared me, I can't believe it, or do you find the appreciation growing into something more? I think it depends on the movie in particular. Um, okay. Them has its own special you know, psychological trauma, so it's, it's doing pretty good. <laughs> the thing's not nearly as terrifying now, but Forbidden Planet absolutely holds up. Oh, it's iconic. It's iconic, and its its influence, I think, is pretty obvious the minute you sit down to start watching it. And I'm not just talking about Robbie the Robot, although Robbie the Robot is pretty darn spectacular. He is, considering that as far as I can tell, George Lucas had to make two robots to equal him, because he's basically R2-D2 and C-3PO in one bot. <laughs> How do you mean? <laughs> well, he has the same sort of, you know, can fix anything, you know, R2-D2 can. He speaks 188 languages, which is not as impressive as C-3PO's. 
but if you think about it, it can be almost exactly where that line came from. That's a good point. Although neither C-3PO nor R2-D2 made alcohol. This is true. A sad, sad loss. <laughs> Wait for the special, special edition and maybe that'll happen. Right. Do you remember how old you were when you first saw Forbidden Planet? I think I was 11 or 12. Okay. So old enough to appreciate the intensity of some of the stuff, but not old enough to notice a bunch of stuff that I did once I grew up and was able to look at the story from the story side as opposed to just from the character's point of view. Sure. You and I are about the same age. Our generation knows Leslie Nielsen as Naked Gun. Right. You know, the comedy guy. When you first saw the film, did you know? I'm trying to remember the history, the timeline. Was Nielsen doing the comedy at that point? He may have been, but I had not seen any of them. Like Airplane or something like that, I suppose. I'm sure Airplane was out, but I had not seen it. I didn't catch him at that point. So that was really my first movie I ever saw him in. Wow. So your first experience with Nielsen was as serious, straight-laced, could have been a Starship captain. Well, I guess it technically was. Yeah. Or Skipper. <laughs> Skipper. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, my first experience with him was as the Naked Gun, as the Airplane guy, as the comic so watching him in something serious like this, and it's not the only serious thing I've seen him in, but seeing him as something like this, as serious as something like this, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see him display his acting chops. He had some depth. He had some variety. He really did, more than a lot of people, I think, realize it. Oh, yeah. Especially people who get really well-known for a specific genre really get pigeonholed in the, the public's eye. People don't know him for anything else because he got so good at what he did. That's true. Um, it's unfortunate. I think he probably deserves a lot more respect for his dramatic work. Although, towards the end of his career, that's all he was doing was comedy. So Yeah, I mean, and sort of trading on the name because some of them weren't the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Naked Gun 33 and a third? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Or Spy Hard? I know way too much about that man's career, probably. <laughs> probably, though. The funny thing is, the one I enjoyed him most in was not one that was actually well-received, which was Dead and Loving It. Wow. Okay. All right. Because <laughs> for some reason, his acting in that just made me laugh more than almost anything else he's done, even though it was not his best movie. No, no, it wasn't anybody's <laughs> best movie. <laughs> wow. I have never talked to anybody who has anything positive to say about that film. I'm probably the only one. Well, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> we're, we're not necessarily talking about that anyway, so I think we're okay. Yep. We, won't, we won't get too deep into that water. Let, let's stay with The Forbidden Planet and the classic sci-fi. What yes. is it about these classic sci-fi films that spoke to you when you were watching them? Was it just you were a kid and you were doing it with your dad, or did it really strike a chord with you in a, any other ways? Um, it was a little bit of that, but being a child of the beginning of the te- you know the personal technological boom in the 80s, the fact that you could see all of the things that could be based on things like, you know, we had a personal computer, but my personal computer didn't fly a spaceship. It couldn't power a, a mind monster. So That's probably a good thing. <laughs> very good for everyone, I'm sure. Ten-year-old um, mind monster is probably not a good thing at all. <laughs> see what happened to the crowd. That's true. There were lots of ten-year-old mind monsters. <laughs> Death by annoyed teenager. But, oh, um, that, that sounds bad. Very so it was just that and the imagination of that time period, I think, was less narrowed as you get farther and farther on when when the viewing public knew more and more about technology and more and more about hard science. You're, you know, because science fiction requires believability. Otherwise, you're into science fantasy where you can do whatever you want. But science fiction, you have to believe it could happen. And so... 50s and 60s, that was a larger scope. There was more territory to explore. I think it's a really good way to put it. There has to be a 
chance that it could happen. I think I had a, an instructor, an English instructor in high school, telling me that science fiction is about what could happen, fantasy is about what never will. Right. You know, or, or never did. And I think that's a really good way to put it. I think a lot of the science fiction movies that we see now, the definition gets kind of blurry. Mm-hmm. You know, Star Wars is probably the big sci-fi-ish thing that a lot of people know from our generation. But really, when you look at it, it's not very good sci-fi. No, it's much more science fiction space opera. Yeah, it's more of a fantasy in space. It's basically a Lord of the Rings in space. <laughs> it's got sword fighting. It's got mages. It's... It happens to be on spaceships, but... It's got magic. It's got magic. Whereas something like Forbidden Planet, everything is explained. You know, For the most part. I mean, You may not understand the explanation. The point. explanation may not actually make sense to the humans, but... For those characters, they understood it. They lived in a world that made sense, and even the monster that made no sense in the end was explained, not in specific, and you never get to see it, which is one of the most brilliant cinematography moves you could make not showing the monster, allowing people's imagination to terrify them. Ah, but we do see it a little bit. I had forgotten how impressive it looks when we do kind of sort of see it. Mm-hmm. I did like that quite a bit. It's got a nice devilish appearance. And I know that may not have been intentional. It was more inspired by things like Leo the Lion, you know, the lion that introduces the, the MGM films. But it still has a nice devilish appearance, which I like. Yes, though it would have been better if they had used one of the ones they had thought about, which was actually having it be Morbius's face on the two legs, since it was his id, and that would have been terrifying. Well, you mentioned Morbius. We talked about Leslie Nielsen. Let's talk about the cast a little bit. So Leslie Nielsen's our lead. Yep. He's our skipper, Commander <laughs> John J. Adams. What a great, solid British name. Oh, good. J.J. <laughs> Adams. Yep. Good Not stuff. Abrams. Very different. No. No, no, big difference. <laughs> and he's in charge of the flight, the United Planets Cruiser, C-57D, yep. on way to planet Altair 4, and boy, if that doesn't speak Star Trek right there. It does, and Roddenberry is on record saying that Forbidden Planet was the inspiration for a great deal of Star Trek, that he wanted to do Forbidden Planet as a TV show. It certainly looks it. I mean, you can tell. Well, you've got all the, the naming conventions you know, the way the world is set up, this United Planets cruiser, the way the ship is done, the way the crew all kind of interacts with one another, and right down to the colors as well. And we'll get to that, I'm sure. I mean, it, yep. it looks like proto-Star Trek. It really does. And the way the whole, you know, the special effects being set up, one thing I had no idea is the reason why the animation is so good has nothing to do with MGM. I wanted to bring that up because, uh, you know, we have Scott and Tracy Morris on the show quite a bit, and they're Disney aficionados, and they would have my Mickey Mouse head <laughs> if I didn't mention, if we didn't talk about Joshua Medor being the man behind the animation on that. And he was on loan from Disney. Yep, because MGM did not have an animation studio. Which just blows, well, I guess it's 50s. <laughs> you know, so, they just didn't have it yet. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, well, and you've got Disney in town. Who else is going to yeah. come work, you know? Hey, hey, Disney, you mind loaning us your best guy? You know, exactly. Send him on over. <laughs> yeah, now he was involved in things like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, did a lot of television. He was actually a fine artist. As much as he was well-known for the animation and did it great, mm -hmm. the Disney work was just his day job. He was actually a, a painter, mm -hmm. did some commission work for Disney as well as you know for the government, and just a wonderful artist. I've done some research online looking at his work, and... I mean, it's stunning to think that this guy who did created these wonderful paintings created the id monster. Yep. It's great. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I love the technique they use, which is like doing it in reverse. It was a, a complex thing that they'd never actually tried before. There was no cells, which they had, they had not done. And so that's why you get the the way the depth works on the animation. How it's almost like 3D in a 2D environment. Oh, okay, okay. Basically, they told him what they wa- that they wanted to do, and he was like, well, I'm going to do it this way. And they're like, you can do that? And he's like, yep, <laughs> doing it. <laughs> I work for Disney. I can do anything. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Fantasia? I'm awesome. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so we got Leslie Nielsen as the captain. We've got you've, we've talked about Morbius a couple of times. We've got to talk about Morbius. Yes. Dr. Morbius, who has probably one of the coolest names ever. <laughs> Very much so. And is one of the reasons why this movie was as well-respected as it was, because he was not your B-list actor. No. Walter Pidgeon, whose career goes way back to the silent films. I mean, this is a Hollywood mainstay. There were a couple of dips in his career as, as his life went on, but by the time he comes around to The Forbidden Planet, I mean, he's still a big deal. Yes. And he brings that big dealness, that gravitas to the role. So good. Really good. Also, this is where I'd like to point out that one thing that I did not realize as a child, because I had no way of drawing this correlation yet, but I picked up as an adult, is the correlation to The Tempest, um, the Shakespeare play. Sure. Where Morbius is Prospero. You know, he's the great magician that is isolated. Mm. And though he isn't using magic, he's using more advanced technology than anyone's ever seen. The plastic educator. Yep. I want one of those. Absolutely, as long as I don't die from it. <laughs> Slight miss, you know, dangerous that's, effect there. That's true. But just the way he enters and exits every scene, especially with his silent film background, his physical acting is way above anyone else in the entire film. He acts with his entire body. There's a little bit of, I don't know if mime work is the best way to put it, but he's not just a talking head. He doesn't just come in to make these proclamations. He moves through the set, and it's grand. It's like he's doing some stage work that happens to be in front of a camera. Exactly. It's very near over the top, but not quite. I mean, it, it works for a guy who's been isolated, who's had nothing but a robot in his you know, young daughter, yeah. you know, with him for the past however long. I mean, it works for him. It's overall just great characterization, I feel. Agreed. It reminds me a lot of the, a lot of the great actors that come later who are all based in Shakespearean. As amazing as it may be, even William Shatner was a Shakespearean actor. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's where he was before he went to Star Trek. He was actually a stage actor in a Shakespearean company, I believe, in Canada. How's that for I'm, strange? I'm resisting the temptation to do it, to be or not to be with the filter dialogue. I'm resisting it. You can do it. I, I can't. I can't. It's too early. Not enough coffee. All right. <laughs> but Walter Pigeon, I mean, he sells. Uh, is it a villain role? Is he the antagonist? I, I don't know if he really is. Uh, he's a complex role because he is both the villain and not the villain. Right. His villain is not even seen, except for in The Flash, where the monster is seen. But you have to be able to draw conclusions based on his acting of what the monster is doing and why. And that requires some real acting. How much acting is required to walk around in a skirt that short without showing too much? Speaking of acting, uh, we got Anne Francis in the female, the only female 
part in the film. Also similar to Star Trek. Not, <laughs> not a lot of girls. No, you're, you're yes. absolutely right. She plays Altera, Dr. Morbius' daughter. And Frances was probably best known for being in the TV show Honey West, where she was a female detective. The first TV series in which the female detective's name is actually in the title. Yep. And uh, she's good in that. I've seen some episodes of Honey West, and I really enjoy her performance in that. Uh, but here she is walking around in that super short skirt that I was shocked. I mean, we're talking 19, what, 56? Yeah. It's showing a lot of leg. It really is. And I think they got away with it because it was science fiction, because this wasn't Earth, and she was isolated, and you could pretend that there wasn't any issue. And the audience bought it. Probably because they liked the leg, too. It didn't hurt. Sure. But, <laughs> but, you know, she plays her part very well. She's got a lot of really good actors around her and doesn't appear to get lost. Though, obviously, she doesn't have the greatest dialogue in the world. That's nothing new from the time period. Well, and especially for a female character. It's it's unfortunate, but one of the staples, for better or worse, of these 50s, and, and even going back to some of the 40s and 30s, I mean, a lot of these classic movies, as much as we love them, a lot of times the women characters weren't necessarily written or drawn with the most uh, equality in mind. Not so much. I mean, and, and some might even say that that continues today, but that's probably a much longer conversation than <laughs> we're going to do here on Monster Kid Radio. Yeah, another time for that one, I yes, think. Yes, yes. But it, it, you're right, though. She is surrounded by some wonderful actors. She and Leslie Nielsen have some great scenes together. And her and Walter Pigeon, amazing. Absolutely. Some of those scenes, I mean, you don't need anyone else on the screen. Uh, they are making those scenes perfectly. Because she has the most complex character arc, if you think about it. Everyone else plays themselves. Morbius is Morbius. The skipper is the skipper. The doctor is the doctor. The robot's the robot. She's the daughter that has to trust her father, doesn't like Adams, likes Adams, distrusts her father, turns against her father. She's the only one that actually has an arc. She really does go on the biggest, most obvious journey when you look at this which is so unfortunate because she's got such poor dialogue at times i mean she's such a, a female shell at the beginning i mean she does grow yes but yeah she does go on the biggest journey because you're right i mean very distressful and her father's telling her that Earthmen are not to be trusted and she believes him and learns about kissing i don't know <laughs> yeah she is the innocent that become that is no longer innocent by the end of the you know the movie she are Luke Skywalker with better legs. It definitely got better legs, no lie. <laughs> <laughs> Though if uh, Walter Pigeon was playing Darth Vader, I'm not sure how that would have gone. That's a good point. <laughs> I think the Rebel Alliance might have been doomed. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think that's a good place to stop the discussion. And we're going to come back with part two of that here in a couple of days, where we're going to get further into the cast, talk about two of the most important people in the movie. Okay, maybe one of the most important people in the movie. Okay, we're going to talk about the cook, but we'll talk about that and the rest of Forbidden Planet in the next episode. Stay tuned for that. Come back for that. Now, before anybody says anything, yeah, Micah and I did get the name of the movie wrong. It's The Thing from Another World, not The Thing from Outer Space or whatever. It's The Thing from Another World. I realize that now. What can I say? I was recording really early and I didn't have enough coffee in me. I'm thinking my lot to pass. Also, speaking of Leslie Nielsen in a serious non-comic role, I want to go ahead and point out there's a movie from 1965 called Dark Intruder where he plays an occult expert that's brought in by the police there's some murders going on. There's all sorts of witchery and hocus pocus, that sort of thing. And Leslie Nielsen nails it 
in that one. I have the power to abandon this body and enter yours. This is my fiance, Miss Evelyn Lang, and this. And Mr. Kingsford. Why are you not dead? Did he have a knife? <laughs> no knife did that. He had claws. No. Put it down! That thing felt like it was alive. Robert! Wake up! There are answers I must have before I go out of my mind. Everything will be answered before the day of your wedding. Six killings that we know of and seven spokes in the Sumerian wheel. So tomorrow, the seventh killing? Before midnight. Feedback from some listeners. I want to go ahead and go over that here from Craig Chaos. Just wanted to comment on episodes 116 and 117. The Washburn interview was great. She sounds so young. Spider Baby is one of my fave films. I have the 27 by 42 poster. That's in reference to the Beverly Washburn interview that we did at Monster Bash. Joe Stuber was the man who set that up. Beverly was so cool. Very giving of her time to sit down with the two of us and just talk about classic monster movies and her history with some of these classic films. Now, he had some thoughts about the Universal Monsters thing. What I'm referring to is Universal's announcement that they're going to reboot the Universal Monsters in a modern franchise, make it a cohesive universe, no pun intended. My thoughts on the Universal Monsters thing. I think it might be okay. I love Monster Squad, but if they make the films anything like I Frankenstein, then I'll be upset. But the two guys he mentioned, just because they made Star Trek and Fast and Furious, doesn't mean that they don't sit at home and watch Curse of the Werewolf. They just had to prove they could make a money-making film. Now they can do their pet project. But if they put Megan Fox and Mark Wahlberg in it, I will riot. On a side note, I think Hands of the Ripper was an underrated Hammer film. It didn't have Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee, but it was still good. You know, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the guys behind this new launch, the Universal Pictures, I hope they have a love for the movies the way that we do. We'll see what happens. Like I said before, I've got a Monster Kiditorial brewing regarding that. Got some voicemails that had come in about that. We'll talk about that down the line here in a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. He mentioned some Hammer films, Hands of the Ripper. I actually haven't watched that one yet. Looking forward to it. I've got it in my collection, and I'm sure I'll talk about it on a future episode of 1951 Down Place, the other podcast that I'm involved with, with Scott and Casey. This email came in from Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. You can find it over at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. Hi, Derek. I wanted to drop you a line and tell you how much I enjoy your series. I found it a few months back and have been bouncing back and forth between new and old episodes. This week's shows on Vincent Price were particularly informative since I haven't seen a lot of Price's horror output. I've been trying to rectify that over the last few years, and having listened to these shows, I remembered that I had DVR'd House of Wax off of TCM several years ago. So last night I watched it and found it to be a great movie, just as you and Dr. Gain Green promise. 
I believe on your earlier Price episodes with The Doctor, you said you felt like Witchfinder General was the closest thing Price had made to a Hammer film. I felt like House of Wax had a vibe very similar to early Hammer films, too. Had Peter Cushing or Michael Ripper shown up, they would have felt right at home. I know this movie predates Hammer's gothic horrors by at least five years, but I can't help but feel some connection there. I got a classic Universal connection in this film as well. The unnamed medical examiner is played by Fred Ferguson, none other than the overly angry potential lycanthrope Mr. McDougal from Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Dabs Greer, who played Sergeant Jim Shane in the film, appeared numerous times on The Adventures of Superman, including the first man Superman saves in the premiere episode, and then went on to play the recurring role of the preacher on The Little House on the Prairie. Again, thanks for the great show. I always look forward to new episodes of this and 1951 Down Place. You also turned me on to Joe Stuber's Comic Book Central, which is right up my alley. Chris, thanks for writing in, man. You know... I forwarded your email to both Dr. Gangreen, who was thrilled to hear that you're liking what he does. And then I also forwarded this to Joe Stuber, again, the man behind the Comic Book Central podcast, one of my favorite comic book shows. Although he said he thinks maybe it was Frank Ferguson. I'd have to go back to the IMDb to double check to see the name of the guy who played Mr. McDougal. Either way, awesome to have a connection between the Abbott and Costello films and House of Wax outside of Vincent Price actually doing the voice of the Invisible Man in that cameo at the end of Meet Frankenstein. Now, if you have any feedback that you'd like to share with us here at Monster Kid Radio, you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can send me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Or you can send me a message or post something on Facebook like Reber Clark just did. Hello, Derek and company. Maybe this page can help me. There's a movie I saw on TV in the 60s. I was probably nine or so. It was black and white, and it had something to do with voodoo or zombies or both. There was a woman who was either Mariah Ospenskaya or someone who looked like her as the main witch woman. An innocent man is strapped to a chair or a rocker, and she approaches him with a long needle. We see, from his point of view, her approach and the needle entering his eye, creating splotches that gradually blotted out the image. It was horrifying to me. Does anyone have any idea what that movie is? I've been searching for a long time. Thanks for any help. Horrifying to you. Horrifying to me. I've got a thing about eye violence, man. That's... Ugh. But the movie does not sound familiar. You'd think it's something that would stick my memory if I had seen it because of got the eye thing. So if anybody knows what movie he's talking about, head over to our Facebook page. Go to the Monster Kid Radio page, which is just Facebook.com slash Monster Kid Radio, and post a response to his post there. And while you're over there, why don't you give us a like? At the top of the show, I mentioned our Patreon page. Our Patreon page is where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio. It's where you can help support us monthly with your patronage. Now, if you head over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio, you can see how you can sign up. It's very similar to Kickstarter, except it's on a recurring basis, and the levels are a lot lower. It's a monthly thing, and we've already hit the first two milestones of the four milestone goals that we have here at Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to all of our patrons so far. Now, if you're a patron of Monster Kid Radio through Patreon, you get some sort of a benefit, a kickback, something from Monster Kid Radio. You might be able to help program an episode of Monster Kid Radio. Your name might get mentioned in a special thanks section of the podcast or appear on our website. We're going to start dealing these out next month here on Monster Kid Radio, so there's still time for you to get involved with any of the levels that we have here. Now, we've named all the levels, things like the Ackerman, the Wood, the Corman, the Lagosi, the Cheney, the Lemley. Head over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio to check out those levels. And if nothing else, maybe share the page with your friends and help us spread the word. We appreciate your support. That's going to do it for this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Remember, in a couple of days, in episode 124, we're going to have Micah back to finish our discussion about the movie Forbidden Planet. 
Can't wait for that. Can't wait for you guys and gals to hear that. Until then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Outlaws. That belongs to the Blue Giant Zeta Puppies that appears on their EP, 40 Million Miles to Earth. You can find them over at thebluegiantzetapuppies.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes. It appears in this episode of this podcast. With their permission, talk to everybody in a couple of days. (laughs) 